Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey, soulmates, welcome to your Wednesday as we uh, continue in this first week of April. Amazing. Welcome to Fox Soul's Black Report. We're following the latest on the newest women's exhibit that's honoring black trailblazers and what's being done in the fight for black women to get better treatment as mothers. I'm Courtney Hicks. I'm Brandon Hudson. I'm yeah, here for you Nicole are. I'm Corte. Look, I can't <laughs> believe it is April. Uh, we celebrated the anniversary of my marriage with my wife. Oh, congrats. Six years. So, uh, yeah, it's been great. Um, and, and, and love her more and more each and every day. So, Aww. but look, let me get to these headlines again because we're also talking about the housing crisis <laughs> right. that's in Detroit uh, that has many worried about being homeless. And look, these are stories that impact all of our people. Yeah, we're going to bring you our news, our views, and our voice. So, how about if we get into our top conversation for today? Inadequate staffing, safety, funding, and overcrowding conditions are said to be plaguing the Wayne County Juvenile Detention Center. And so now the state will hold hearings to address these concerns, but some in Inside the centers and parents say that this is not enough. Fox 2 Detroit's Charlie Langton has more on the story. They had flooding from sewage. My son literally called me and said, Ma, there's literally poop, I can't say the word he said, floating through the hallways urine and feces. Dinah Campbell talks about what she calls inhumane living conditions her son Brian faced while doing time at the Wayne County Juvenile Detention Facility. Now an adult, he was released last year after reportedly detained for seven months. I couldn't visit him, number one, when he was in there. Uh, two, he told me that he was receiving moldy food. Those kids were locked in those cells almost 24 hours a day, um, not allowed to shower. They were actually taking bird baths in the little sink um, that's provided for them inside of their cells. Um, they had to eat in their cells. County and city sources blame overcrowding and understaffing as reasons for keeping the juvenile inmates in their cells for long periods of time. At the county level, can you talk about um, some of the organizations that provide those wraparound services? The problems were the subject of a state Senate hearing where Wayne County officials affiliated with the juvenile facility made their case. This is a statewide problem. I know Wayne County is getting all the attention. Um, we're the biggest county in the state of Michigan and we got the biggest problem. Wayne County's CEO declared a public health emergency at the Juvie Jail due to the overcrowding. More than 140 children are in there and the capacity is 80. Sources say the overcrowding problems are related to inadequate long-term support for kids who are supposed to get out, essentially meaning that some stay even at the end of their cases. The staffing issue is problematic. But it's, 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 we got to go deeper than that. you, you got to look at why this stuff is occurring. Leonard Dixon was the man assigned to fix the Wayne County system back in the 80s, according to lawmakers running the hearing. Now he's working with the juvenile facility in Chicago. He was brought in to testify about his experiences. If you have 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds, they have another level of energy that adults don't have. <laughs> And so they're more impulsive, they're angrier, they make decisions. That's why they're called juveniles. They just make decisions and don't think them through. Dinah says something has to be done and soon. They just need to put more money into, into the kids like they say they do instead of just giving them the minimum because that's what I feel that they do. They literally give them the minimum. Mm -hmm. So before we get to the conversation, real quick, a correction, that was Fox 2's Dave Kinchin, mm -hmm. not Charlie Langton. So mm -hmm. we apologize for that. And we love them both. Yeah, Thanks, no, Dave. both excellent journalists yeah, yeah, here. Yeah. And, and uh, But, you know, when you see stuff like that, you always think about, hey, look, we send, in this case, our young people mm -hmm. to these facilities mm -hmm. to become better, better people. But it's hard to become better when the 
environment you're around is not better. Uh, and we're not, we're, we're failing our, our youth, uh, even though we're sending them to a place where we want them to come back and come back reform. Yeah, they're just that, they're youth. And so there's this idea and this, this hope that they can be redirected and mm -hmm. rehabilitated and, and then rejoin you know, their peers and their families. We saw the mom talking, but how can that happen when first and foremost, they're not in a physical environment that speaks to healing, that speaks to you know, redirection? Uh, when you have what that mom described floating by you. I mean, right. just and just the health risks alone. And I'm not sure how those who are at top at the top, if, uh, you know, by some chance, maybe their young people, their their kids messed up and ended up there with they want their children, you know, in facilities that are being ran like that moldy food of, you know, human feces everywhere. It is just absolutely disgusting. And you see those folks up in, in Lansing in, the, in where they do all the lawmaking and the policy, just sitting there listening to the experts as if he had not been saying this for years on top of years on top of years. What to, is the problem? We have to keep in mind that even though these people may have done uh, something wrong yes. and made you know, uh, some, some, uh, you know, uh, mistakes, mistakes in their life. Mm -hmm. uh, there's still people too at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. There's still people too at the end of the day and we need to treat them as such. And if we want to give them a fair chance at returning to society as a productive member, mm -hmm. we have to put them in positions to succeed. That's right. Yeah. That's right. All right. So Adidas is reversing course. They're walking back their request for the U.S. Trademark Office to reject a Black Lives Matter application for a trademark featuring three parallel stripes. Mm -hmm. You've seen the logo. Mm -hmm. You probably know it. Yeah. But the sportswear maker had told the trademark office in a Monday filing that the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation's yellow stripe design was confusingly similar to its own famous mark. The mm. group applied for a trademark in November of 2020 to use the design on merchandise, including clothes and bags. Adidas quickly retracted the complaint over fears that it could be seen as an objection to the Black Lives Matter cause. Well, somebody wasn't in the room to tell them that before they put this out there. Right. You can't you can't put the genie back in the bottle. No, what's you can't. done is what's done and clearly if your merchandising says, you know, Black Lives Matter, I think people can read yeah. and whether you agree with that or not, you know, they know specifically what that particular product is. Um, as far as the messaging is concerned, but to try to, you know, take it back now, I don't know if that's going to work and hopefully there hasn't been you know, any damage done, but now in this very sensitive time that we live in, especially racially speaking, you got to be careful. And who who's in the room when these decisions are made or not made and now thinking that you can you can pull this thing back? Uh. You, you wonder if their diversity people mm. Uh, were there, or if they were like, eh, we don't need them anymore, let's get rid well, of them. Out to lunch or right. to the day But off. look, we, we, we know the difference. I mean, sure. I, I can't say that if I saw that t-shirt out, I'd I be like, confused. oh, that's, that's right. Adidas. No, right. it, the only reason that we're talking about this is because Adidas said, said something. something. <laughs> and so they brought <laughs> right. it on themselves. Right. Yeah, I yeah. agree. So we're going to switch gears here now. It's a heartbreaking story about a family losing their four-month-old baby, absolutely heartbreaking. Warren police, Warren sits on the east side of Detroit, right outside of Detroit uh, here in Michigan, uh, have released body cam video showing officers desperately trying to save a little boy as they rushed him to the hospital. Sadly, uh, that baby didn't make it. Fox 2's Jessica Dupnek has more with the family. He was born on Halloween. Four and a half months later. Come on. Warren police there in minutes. Mom Diamond Davy in the driveway screaming, holding baby Iva. Officers immediately try and save her, loading her into their squad car, continuing compressions on the way to the hospital, where she was later pronounced dead. I will win this for my wife's enemy. A hole in their hearts and so many questions as they wait on the full autopsy report. No, perfectly healthy. As we thought, let's hit every doctor's appointment. And everything was normal. Children's Protective Services and Warren Police are looking into how this baby girl died. And that means investigating what happened at her home in the hours before her death. I'm here to be the gatekeeper. Um, they have access to my clients through me. Diamond and dad Ivory Hogan hired attorney Todd Perkins, who says all indications are that there is no wrongdoing by the family. We're investigating as well as law enforcement's investigating because they want to know.
uh, yeah, incredibly difficult so um, story to watch, especially seeing that video mm -hmm. of the officers who tried to save that baby's life but mm -hmm. ultimately could not. Uh, you, you can be a parent, you can be an aunt, you can be an uncle, mm -hmm. and, and you feel that family's pain. Mm -hmm. And I think this maybe goes into the conversation and, and maybe autopsy results will determine mm -hmm. what was the cause of death here because mm -hmm. you heard the mom say, mm -hmm. um, it's a healthy baby. Right. Doctor's office, right. she had an appointment, she was fine. But we all know, and, and the unfortunate side of, you know, black health care mm -hmm. is that sometimes, you know, our, our black families aren't taken care of That's right. in a medical sense mm -hmm. like we would expect them to. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I, I know it's, it's frightening for you to watch. You have three mm -hmm. under the age of four. So as a and as I've a been in that position before. Young, yeah, absolutely. You know? On the other side of this, you know, we've been talking a lot about the men and women in blue and the blue culture and all of the unfortunate uh, press uh, that they get, the unfortunate cover that they get, coverage that they get, the negative uh, impact sometimes of, of the work that they do in the streets that results in in, in life or death situations. Mm -hmm. But in, in this particular situation, definitely heroes. They just jumped into action. They were on the scene quite early. They took matters into their own hands and, and took that baby uh, uh, to the hospital. Unfortunately, the baby didn't make it. But I just wanna, I just wanna make mention that there are some good cops out here that do take that vow very seriously, right. that do abide by what the badge is, you know, employing them to do. Uh, and so I just want to acknowledge that. Uh, but scary time for them too. I mean, it's a baby and they, they wanted to do what they could. And, and, and unfortunately, they, the, the efforts fell a little short, but uh, definitely got to give some props to them. You have to well. remember they're members of the community too. And they That's have right. families as well. And, and I know, let me clarify this. I said, you know, I've been in that position as mm -hmm. well. I mean, you know, having a kid that young before mm -hmm. and, you know, your biggest fear mm -hmm. is you go into the room and you don't see them breathing. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. that is something that I, as a parent and, and going through, a, you know, a new parent, you, when they're asleep, you're glad they're asleep, but you're just, Checking, checking that little, that, yeah, checking that yeah, little yeah, belly yeah. or that back going time. up and down. All the time. Yeah, All but the there time. are good cops, and yes. I just wanted to make mention of that. There and are good cops. We appreciate Warren Police That's for right. doing what they could. That's right. All right, so homes for sale are nearing record low levels, making things more difficult for potential buyers. The National Association of Realtors reports about 980,000 homes were on the market in February. It is one of the lowest levels in history, but it is still a 15.3% increase from the all-time low in 2022. Now, the lack of houses for sale and higher mortgage rates had led to an increase in prices. And meanwhile, many people living on Detroit's east side have been there for years, and they're hoping to eventually own their own home. But as it stands right now, the houses are owned by the city's land bank, and some say that they've tried to buy their homes, but they've been unsuccessful. Hmm. Fox 2 Detroit's Charlie Langton explains what's standing in their way. We don't know who the land bank is. And that's the problem. East Side residents, some who thought they were renting to own, but their houses are actually owned by Detroit's land bank. $600 a month. Yes, for six years. Yes. Who are you paying it to? I, I was paying it to, rent to uh, somebody that was not the landlord. A scam. A scam. <laughs> Others who have been taking care of property for years and wanting to own it. You've been taking care of the yeah. house for 17 years Absolutely. right next to you. Absolutely. You went to the land bank. I went first to the city. And then but eventually to the land bank. To the land bank. And what did the land banks can't. tell you? They didn't give me no information. I got to find my paperwork. I can prove my paperwork when I went first, went to the city. You want and that house, right? Absolutely. And now they're fixing nothing. How they long have you been taking care of it again? 17 years, 2005, my neighbor was put out. It's a hot mess. Detroit Councilwoman Mary Waters wants city council to stop all sales, like a proposal for these people's homes, where a developer would buy more than 10 properties at a time. You just heard them say they've been fixing up their home. Why aren't we doing all that we can as a city to help encourage home ownership? I mean, it breaks my heart. Step one is to see if they can qualify for our buyback program. The land bank's Alyssa Strickland says that the scammed occupant can still get the house, but they do need to show some paperwork to support their connection to the property and they have to pass an inspection to make sure the property is safe. We're not kicking people out on the street. City Council, we cannot move forward with this sale. We're told that the proposed developer will work with these residents. What do you say to these people that say they've contacted the land bank and they get the runaround? They need to work with us. 
we're never interested in giving somebody the runaround, but there are policies and procedures that we have to follow. Okay, well bring us something to say you own it. We never get that. At all. So how are we supposed oh, to live? Right. On Detroit's east side, Charlie Langton, Fox 2 News. Uh, the representative of the land bank, she better go into hiding. Right. Uh, these folks are very serious. And listen, being a native Detroiter, I've seen the despair, I've seen the destruction, I've seen the blight. And these people want to do something about it. They want to take responsibility, accountability. They want to pull themselves up by their bootstraps uh, for their property and even properties nearby. And for this to, to be uh, somewhat taken from up, up under those boots, if you will, is absolutely um, unjust. And so I'm hoping they'll, they'll continue uh, to get answers. Um, but, uh, you know, we got to do better. Yeah. We just have to do better, especially when people are trying to do good. It is no secret that Detroit has a problem with blight. Yeah. I mean, it's a national, mm -hmm. you know, it's a national issue that it comes up. But what we also don't, often don't talk about is there are people, there mm -hmm. are families out there that are trying to fix it. And you have situations like this that stand in yeah, their way. Like in most cities, people want their neighborhoods to look good too. Right. And there are a lot of responsible residents and renters. And when you just cut at the knees like this, it's, it's just, uh, it's unfortunate. All right, well, coming up, uh, this is something that's being called the fertility factor. We're gonna take an in-depth look at the difficulties for black women to become mothers. Yep, we'll introduce you to the brave women who are coming forward and sharing their stories in hopes of educating others and spreading awareness. That's all coming up next on Foxhole's Black Report. Good. Welcome back to the Foxhole's Black Report. I am Brandon Hudson in for Nicole Like Corte, and we're going to get to this next story here. This is a big one mm. for a lot of families all over the country. Here, the FDA has just approved the over-the-sale, over-the-counter sales of Narcan nasal spray. That's very interesting. Yeah. Now, the spray is used to reverse opioid opioid uh, overdoses. A decision made to combat the opioid epidemic across the U.S. approval means people will be able to buy four uh, milligram nasal sprays in supermarkets, convenience stores, vending machines, and even online. The company behind the sprays say that uh, they should be available for purchase by the summer. In other health news, if there is a history of cancer in your family, you might mm. want to look into genetic testing. It can be life-saving. The blood test it could be used to save your life. Hillary Golston tells us how this works. If you exclude skin cancers, colorectal cancer is the third most commonly diagnosed cancer in adults in the United States. So obviously prevention is so incredibly key. And for Serena Odin, 41 years old, it all started with this simple question. You know, how's your family doing? When Odin's primary care doc asked her that, she just spilled the beans. There happened to be a lot going on with her family at that time. My dad had prostate cancer and um, colon cancer. And so, and my mom also has um, leukemia. Because Odin has a lot of cancer in her immediate family, her doctor recommended genetic testing. And that's how she found out she has Lynch syndrome, which is the most common cause of hereditary colon cancer. And as they say, for Odin and her doctors, knowledge is power. We can take appropriate measures for early detection, closer surveillance, and really prevent her from ever getting a colon or other Lynch syndrome-related cancer. The next step was getting a colonoscopy before the American Cancer Society's recommended age of 45. Doctors removed three polyps that were thankfully benign. Being more proactive in my health, um, it has really, it's like a map you know, to what I need to do for me. Genetic testing isn't all that complicated. It first starts with just family history and personal history. Then a tube of blood is drawn for sequencing. After that, they meet with a genetic counselor. So pretty simple if you have to have this done. Now, one other thing to note is that some people who have a predisposition for certain types of cancer may get a colonoscopy as early as 20 or 25 years old. Hillary Golston, Fox 2 News. It's good to see that there is technology yeah. like that that is available mm -hmm. because and we talked about this before. This is this is truly life saving stuff. And, you know, we're all about giving people 
uh, a better tomorrow mm -hmm. and you have to know that cancer is not a death sentence, but mm -hmm. things like this can really go a long way. Yeah, and our thanks to Hillary for that. What I found to be so interesting is how vigilant uh, this young lady had to be as far as uh, taking responsibility for what she knew she needed to do based upon her family history. Because if she had waited until she was 45 mm -hmm. and hadn't been as proactive as she mentioned that she was, you know, maybe those polyps would have sat and developed into something else. So it's about being aware of your family history. Uh, we know what the science says, what the re recommendations are, but sometimes for us soulmates, uh, that doesn't work. Right. And that we have to go a different route like this young lady did. And because of that, uh, she's more aware and probably more on the healthier side of that issue with the history of her family than not. Yeah, it's all about uh, getting our young people Mm -hmm. out there to the doctor's office and not being afraid to do so. Yeah, yeah. All right, a new study says the number of children needing help for mental health problem, problems uh, is rising nationwide. Researchers studied more than four million pediatric hospitalizations between 2009 and 2019 and found that mental health hospitaliz hospitalizations increased by almost 26%. Also, there was an increase in suicidal behavior among children. The study found self-injury and suicidal thoughts rose from 31% in 2009 to 64% in 2019. Researchers say a national shortage of mental health professionals, geographic disparities, and a lack of school resources contributed to this surge. This is troubling. It is. Uh, yeah, this is news that a it parent is. does not want to hear, that when you uh, mm -hmm. have them go to school, uh, they don't have the resources to talk to someone. I remember when I was in school, we had uh, a, a counselor mm -hmm. that we could go to. And of course, I went to a small school, but still, uh, they had resources there. And this was a small private Catholic school, mm -hmm. 250 people. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember I did a story here in Michigan, right after the Oxford High School shooting, yeah. where we found out that some Michigan schools, uh, they have maybe one counselor for mm -hmm. every hundred or so, mm -hmm. you know, kids, mm -hmm. uh, or maybe a few hundred kids, mm -hmm. uh, and some of their counselors are not readily available. Yeah. And so when you have what's now become a culture of, you know, cyberbullying, mm -hmm. and then, you know, kids, they still bully each other, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and they can't get the help that they need, yeah. along with coming back from the pandemic and being, um, you know, kind of have everything kind of come back to them all at once. Yeah. Um, and to hear that the, the number of suicides just in a 10 year period has jumped, who knows what's gonna happen when over you, the next 10 years. When you think about this generation, uh, Gen Z's, millennials, especially maybe millennials on the younger side, they were born into you know, the technology, the social media. So you've got that with um, you know, the, the, the bullying, mm -hmm. cyber bullying. And then you maybe have some unfortunate uh, events at home. You're dealing with challenges at home with, with parents who might not be as mentally and emotionally stable as right. they need to be to be effective parents. And then these school shootings, you can't even go to school and feel safe, whether it's an elementary school like Sandy Hook or a college, university like Michigan State University, I mean, and all in between. And so these children are just dealing with so much, uh, so much uh, you know, information is, they're bombarded with it because they have access to so much. So I think it's, it's, it's sensory overload and then you factor in all these other issues. It is hard, it is hard. And we are gonna have to, as adults, as responsible adults, uh, who, who wants to secure the future for our children, we have to continue to tap in and figure out, there's no choice, we don't have a choice, right. figure it out for their well-being. I think it begins with understanding that for our people who are our congressional leaders, the school that you were attending mm -hmm. when you were young is not the same day no. and not the same school that a lot of these no. uh, Gen Zers and That's younger right. are attending right now. That's right. That's right. All right. For black women looking to be moms, the journey isn't always that smooth. So there's a variety of complications that can prevent black women from conceiving mm. and now more awareness is out there to educate all of us about these difficulties. Why don't you take a look at this? The road to motherhood isn't always easy. It was five fibroid surgeries, five IVF cycles, 100 plus days in the hospital, a miscarriage. It's been a painful journey for Jesse Thompson and her husband, Mark. Their struggles with infertility lasting more than a decade. I actually had tumors called uterine fibroids that were causing the infertility. Fibroids are benign tumors of the uterus that often come back after they are removed. 
It's a condition so common. The American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology writes, fibroids should be considered a public health issue. If you do an ultrasound on all black women, 80% of them are gonna have fibroids. Oftentimes they get put into this rabbit hole of going to treat the fibroids, but not actually diagnosing them with the other disorders that are really causing their symptoms. Those other disorders include polycystic ovary syndrome, or PCOS, a hormonal disorder, and endometriosis, where cells grow outside the uterus. Both can impact pregnancy outcomes. Aggressive surgeries are often the solution. Their research does show that black women are more likely to be offered a hysterectomy to remove the whole uterus and take away their fertility options. Dr. Jessica Opuku-Anani, a gynecological surgeon with Columbia University, specializes in removing fibroids with minimally invasive techniques. I think people thought that there was a genetic component to fibroids, uh, which there may be. Um, but some of it is probably environmental. Experts say disparities stemming from historical racial bias are also impacting black women's health. There's a 300-year legacy of black women's health being unrecognized when you have policies that address women. It's usually white women. And so as both female and black, we often get um, Let's see, short-shifted. A distinguished professor at Rutgers University, Dr. Deborah Gray-White, specializes in the history of black women in America. She discusses the inequalities we're still seeing when it comes to medical care for black women. The experiments that were done on our bodies were used to really make advances in the field of gynecology. We still have issues that are not really being addressed. Recent data shows that in New York City, black women on average are 9.2 times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women and are twice as likely to suffer from infertility nationwide. Oh, those stats are alarming. It is, it and is. scary. Yeah, you know, it, this hits close to home. You know, my wife and I, we had, we didn't know if we were going to have kids. There was a point where we didn't know. And, and you know, fortunately, we've been blessed with three kids. Yes. So, you know, you know, pray to God about that one. And he got and, a two for know, one. We got two, we had twins, and then yeah. we had another one. <laughs> um, but no, this hits close to home because um, mm. we also have, uh, we were friends with another couple mm -hmm. who, um, when they had their first kid, uh, my friend's wife, she was in the hospital for an extended period of time. Mm. And, uh, you know, she was a healthy woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, but, you know, these, these situations happen. happen and, and they typically happen to a lot of black women out yes. there who just want to be moms. Same here in, in my family. I can remember a, a, a close family member, a friend of the family, um, for years couldn't get pregnant and so they decided to adopt and that mm -hmm. adoption was just about final. They found out she was finally pregnant and they you go went from zero to two. Yeah. And so there was a blessing in that. And we just talked the other day about this rich auntie lifestyle where you decide not to have any kids and you could do your thing. I wonder how much of that, some of that's a choice, but I wonder how much of that is prompted by the fact that um, they couldn't have children. Like right. some of these women, these rich auntie, the lifestyle that couldn't have children, infertility issues, or maybe them not finding a partner that they would want to have a child with. I think that that's a miss as far as that conversation is concerned as to why you decided not to have children. I'm sure for some women, um, you, you think about being a, a mother. I'm right. not a mom, but I feel like I'm very maternal. And I'm just at a point now where that's just not possible, but I never thought I wouldn't be. And I think there's other issues stemming as to why women are not becoming um, moms. And I think the rich auntie lifestyle, I sort of kind of in some aspects might mask what is really happening yeah. underneath, you know, yeah, as it, that store, as that package. It's a serious to. issue. It is. Um, and we have to be sensitive to a lot of our women out there yeah. um, as to why they don't have kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Still ahead, it's another attempt to remove black history from our schools. So again, when we return yeah. more on the school district that is saying the Ruby Bridges story mm. is problematic. So welcome back, Foxholes Black Report. Now look, there's a warning mm. uh, from the state this morning about scams 
involving cryptocurrency. Yeah, the digital form of money can be bought online, and these exchanges are more often exploited than traditional bank accounts. Now, the state attorney general and state police say crooks will call or email victims, duping them out of their crypto uh, with get-rich-quick schemes. Remember, legitimate organizations will never ask for your login information. Crypto scammers commonly target older and vulnerable adults, but people of all ages have fallen victim. Here's something a lot of people may take advantage of. Apple, they just launched a few a new feature in its digital wallet, Apple Pay users. Well, now the option to buy now, pay later, the company says that the new feature gives customers the choice to split payments for purchases into four installments over six weeks. Apple Pay will require customers to use a debit card and a bank account to make those payments. Missed payments will eventually result in the consumer losing access to these types of loans. Now, this is something that I have... Uh, I admittedly use, mm -hmm. uh, not with Apple Pay, but mm -hmm. with others, uh, other uh, companies. But uh, this is something that has really started to take off yeah. uh, really since about a year ago. Yeah. Uh, the buy, and I, buy now, pay later, but you do also have to be careful that even mm -hmm. though it is interest-free, you do have to be careful and you gotta make yeah. those payments. I know pay, PayPal has an option like that. You have to be kind of yes. pre-approved and have some history with uh, PayPal. But listen, this is my only concern, soulmates. Don't sign up for this thing and then start missing payments. Then you got another, you know, issue, another credit issue, you know, and and and, and I'm guilty in my younger years of, of being, you know, negligent, not paying up like I'm supposed to. And then you, you know, you eventually have to pay the piper or, mm -hmm. or deal with those issues. But, you know, a lot of times we, we have to think that programs like this sometimes are specifically designed for us um, uh, to help ease the burden of being able to, you know, purchase these these phones that we we also love. But at the same time, it comes with a responsibility not to get caught up in that in that vicious cycle. If you happen to fall behind, you know, or if you if you happen not to pay, you're going to have to read the fine line because it may be interest free, but something's coming yeah. if you don't pay them, folks, and send them what they're expecting every month or whatever the case may be. So stay, you, you got to stay on top of it. It's like a teacher told me, there's no such thing as a free lunch. That's it. Yeah, That's even though you're it. paying for this. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, yeah, there's a lot so. more, there's some strings attached. Yeah, good program, but yeah. there is some buyer beware aspects to it. As there are, are with everything. All right, so let's move on to here to the story of Ruby Bridges. Uh, it's long been a staple in the teaching of civil rights and America's educational history. So now there is a push push to mm. remove the iconic movie from lesson plans. Fox News' uh, Jordan Bowen has the story. This 1998 Disney movie, Ruby Bridges, is now the subject of this formal complaint filed by a Pinellas County parent objecting to the movie, complaining it's not appropriate for second graders. When we talk about one parent having the ability to sway the curriculum of over other parents, then we have a problem. The film tells the story of six-year-old Ruby Bridges, the first black student to integrate an all-white school in Louisiana in 1960, after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled racial segregation of public schools was unconstitutional. Back on March 2nd, the PG-rated movie was shown to approximately 60 second graders at North Shore Elementary as part of a lesson for Black History Month. The district says permission slips were sent home two weeks prior, and two parents opted to not have their children participate. This is intrusion at, in its most simplistic form. Who am I to say pull it because I don't think anyone else's child should have to see it. On March 6th, days after the viewing, the district says one of the parents who opted out filed this formal objection complaining the movie isn't appropriate for second graders. When asked, quote, what do you feel might be the result of a student using this material? The parent writes, quote, teaching them racial slur, how they are different, and white people hate black people. There are different opinions on the policy of our controversial material policy. This is something that I voted against due to the subjectivity of the policy. The district says the movie has not been banned and still is available at other schools through their licensed movie library, just not at North Shore Elementary for the time being. The decision to pull the film is temporary and pending a review to decide whether the school will be able to show the film next year. No word yet on when a final decision could be made. Uh, listen, North Shore Elementary, if not this movie, then maybe a document, plenty of documentaries on little, little Ruby. 
maybe a, another a choice. Mm -hmm. um, but here's the thing, you, you, it's our history. It, it is our history, therefore it is American history, and it counts and it matters. And so, you know, you, you may be winning this particular uh, little battle here, but the truth is the truth. And so therefore, in my opinion, you're not gonna win the war. And we, we know what the war is and, and continues to be, especially home-based being Florida. Right. Um, but you can't erase history and you can't, you can't mask it. And um, there's other Ruby Bridges stories that they should be able to consider, documentaries. And so no excuse here, no excuse. Uh, so there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, uh, one of the things that I, I kind of was glossed over in the story here, mm -hmm. but I didn't. I never knew of a time where someone had to sign a permission slip to watch a movie. Never. Uh, especially a movie uh, like Ruby Bridges. Mm -hmm. uh, look, if you're going to continue to shield your kids mm -hmm. from history, then at what point are you going to introduce them mm -hmm. to history? And are you going to have to have them uh, find out about it on their own? Mm -hmm. Because these kids today, they know their way around technology. That's right. They'll figure it out That's or right. they'll hear it from their friends because mm -hmm. uh, kids talk. Mm -hmm. they, they have open and honest conversations. They may not have it with their parents, mm -hmm. but they will talk about it with uh, their other classmates. So, you know, you, you can cut off your nose, mm -hmm. however that face. saying goes. Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know I'm face. one of those young guys, so I'm not really, I'm not really well versed <laughs> you, you, on that statement you, you there. You pulling from the, from but the I, elders I did, on that I did one, say that, yes. I got the first few words right, right? Scratch your face, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it, you know, it, it's just, it, and there is a time where white people did hate black people. Mm -hmm. Let's let's not mm -hmm. cover, let's not sugarcoat mm -hmm. this, so. Still do. Come on. Some, some, some they still do. do. Yes. Some still do. Um, All right. But yeah, very interesting there. Uh, let's go to Hot Meals, Haircuts, and Hope. For Detroiters in Need, now a local nonprofit wants to add housing to that list. I think that works. Arms Open with Love is hosting a fundraiser to get their next project off the ground. Uh, let's go to Fox 2's Ingrid Kelly explaining how you can help. I just love to help people. You know, even when I was younger, I used to always uh, take lunches to the children in my classroom. So I guess it started when I was little. And that spirit of wanting to make a difference in the lives of others still drives Sophia Whitehead, who now heads up her own organization, Arms Open with Love Foundation. There are so many people out there that live out on the streets. You just never know how people got the way that they are. But Sophia is embracing them with open arms. Her Foundation organizes fundraisers like this pop-up shop selling popcorn at Kroger in Oak Park so she can raise money to buy food, cook it, and then serve it to those in need. Oh, I'm always donating because I never know I might need some help. In fact, the foundation does much more, including using this vehicle to give food to seniors. My Groceries on Us program, where we deliver free groceries to our elderly community. The foundation also has partners so it can increase its reach in the community, often offering people who live in shelters a grooming makeover. I was able to provide the residents that lived in the shelter with free haircuts and the women with free hairstyles and free wigs. For Naisha Lee, this work is personal. I have my own personal walk with being homeless and my mental health was also badly affected. That's why Lee wants to give back. You know, if God can place this on my heart to make somebody else feel better, then why shouldn't I share this beautiful gift that God has gave me? Sophia's sister also helps the foundation help others. It makes me feel great as a person and I just love it. The foundation is working to raise money to start a housing program for homeless women and runaway teens. If you would like to support this mission, go to Fox2Detroit.com for details. It's just a blessing to be able to see that she's out in the community touching lives. It may sound like this initiative is all about giving back, but organizers admit they benefit too. I wouldn't trade this assignment for nothing, and just being a giver is just such a blessing, and it feels good. So, In Oak Park, Ingrid Kelly, Fox 2 News. You know, in the greater conversation uh. of you know, making our communities better mm -hmm. and trying to end gun violence in black mm -hmm. communities mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and in poverty. Mm -hmm. Organizations like this and what they're doing, they mm -hmm. go a long way. You'd be surprised at mm -hmm. just the simple actions of just this one nonprofit yep. and other community uh, nonprofits like it mm -hmm. go a long way into 
uh, turning the tide mm -hmm. in making our communities safer. Yeah, and, and we know this is based in Detroit, but communities across the, the nation that, uh, you know, most of our soulmates uh, live in, in Minneapolis, uh, uh, Dallas, uh, the Bay Area, Chicago, um, you know, there are people on the ground, on, on the, in the front lines who've experienced, like the young lady in the piece said, you know, she had a brush with homelessness, so they get it. So this is a passion. It's, it's a ministry. And, you know, if it hadn't, if it hadn't been for folks like this, uh, you know, at ground zero, uh, the foundation, um, I don't know where our communities, where our villages would be, uh, because these are the very people that we can get that immediate, uh, really, really effective help from um, versus waiting on all the bureaucracy and the policy to, to clear and pass and be voted on, you know, it's these people right here, you know, across across all cities. I know every two to four years, we always look to our congressional leaders, our presidential leaders to guide us mm -hmm. out of turmoil, but mm -hmm. it, it really is our neighbors. The soldiers. Who are really doing Foot that. soldiers, right. Yeah. All right, up next on Fox Hills Black Report, honoring the life and legacy of the King family. And we're gonna show you how Bernice King is making sure that she celebrates her birthday by continuing her fight of our ancestors. We're watching Fox Souls. You're watching Fox Souls Black. We're watching too. Yeah, Fox Souls yeah. Black Report. We'll be right back. So as we honor Women's History Month, the National Women's History Museum mm. is launching a brand new exhibit highlighting trailblazers from the turn of the 20th century. Yeah, it's called the We Who Believe in Freedom Black Feminist at DC. It tells the story of multiple black feminists and what they did for civil and reproductive rights. Black feminism, and in this moment of Black Lives Matter, of Me Too, where we see black women's voices so central, that making this a story about DC, both a federal, a national, and a local story was really important. The exhibit is now open at the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library in Northwest DC. Well, birthdays are a time of celebration, love, joy, and also reflection. And this year, Martin Luther King's youngest daughter, Bernice King, turns 60. Yes, and in an exclusive interview with Fox's Eric Perry, they break down Bernice King's legacy, her impact, and what's yet to come. It's an image ingrained in history. Bernice King cradled in the lap of her mother, Coretta Scott King, at the funeral of her father, civil rights icon, Martin Luther King Jr. Decades later, the youngest King sibling has lived a life of service, following in her father's footsteps. Fox 5 was there for a milestone as the lawyer, minister, and civil rights leader herself celebrates turning 60 years old. Some people are like, oh, 60's coming? But I'm excited. I'm excited primarily because my sister didn't make it to 60. Her eldest sibling, Yolanda King, died in 2007 from a heart condition. Bernice told me Yolanda loved to party, and that's the spirit she's taking into her private celebration with those closest to her. So many doors are opening up for me now to help really move the needle on some things. As she celebrates on a life giving to others, she also focuses on the future. She says a passion project of hers is working to end the racial wealth gap and helping renters transition to home ownership. We are purchasing a, a bank in Salt Lake City, Utah, of all places, a, a white bank, going to be converting it to a, a, a black bank, um, and um, looking forward to how we're going to be able to, to help elevate not just our community, but, you know, uh, communities that have been marginalized. As she moves towards the future, those strong, eternal flames like her father and mother will always be her guide. Looking forward to continuing to build uh, an army of nonviolent practitioners through the King Center. I'm very serious about that work and creating the beloved community. And my father said, nonviolence is the pathway. And in a world with different struggles, she wants to focus on more than just the issues. What I keep seeing is we're repeating something. We're in a cycle. How do we break that cycle? And so for me, the heavy focus is on how do we teach people to do what Dr. King did, which was to use the philosophy and strategy of nonviolence to address injustice wherever we find it. Wherever she goes, whatever she does, she knows Atlanta is home. My 
ancestors, my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my father and mother uh, made a mark in this city. And I'm hoping that I'll be able to continue that, that legacy. Mmm. Sometimes it's just, you know, you just gotta give it a, you gotta, gotta give it a beat. Mmm. Happy birthday. Wow. Um, 60. Yeah, no, I mean, milestone. It's, it's, it's a milestone in the sense that uh, her sister didn't make it to that age. Yes. And she's celebrating the, the legacy of her sister. Yes. Celebrating the legacy of her parents. Her family. Um, but again, this all, you know, goes back to just the, the power of black women. Mm. And uh, between that story and the, and the previous story on mm -hmm. the black feminist exhibit, um, you know, we were blessed. Uh, to have women like yourself yeah. and have women like Bernice King, um, to be able to, we gotta give, give you all your flowers. Yeah, and you know, she's such a, a beautiful combination of both. I was just looking, you know, at how well put together she was, and, and you can see Miss Coretta, you can see uh, Dr. King. I'm proud to call her, uh, I'm her soror. Yes. I'll give her, you know, that honor. Um, listen, you know, every time I, I see her speak, um, it reminds me that, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King was, was human. There was another side. He had a family. He was a dad. He loved his babies. My um, mother in love was one of his babysitters. And so he was a for real human being. I mean, sometimes we just get this, I have a dream every right. Black History Month, but he was a for real dude. You know, there are a lot of things that he loved. There's a lot of things that Miss Coretta loved, you know, the music and, 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 and what she stood for. And just to see that legacy continue with uh, Bernice and the, and the other two uh, siblings who are still with us is just amazing. And it's just a reminder of the human aspect of uh, Dr. King and uh, wife Coretta. Yeah, and every time it just gets me every time. And and you know what's crazy about that is you know we see the we see Dr. Martin Luther King marching through Selma, mm -hmm. Edmunds Pettus Bridge, and, mm -hmm. and we see him mm -hmm. uh, you know at his church in Atlanta yep. Yep. and and in Washington D.C. But at the end of the day, he goes home and he's just like a regular dad. Daddy. And and to his kids. Yeah. He was daddy. Yeah, it didn't he, matter that he was doing what he was doing. Yeah. It mattered, but mm -hmm. to them at the end of the day, mm -hmm. they just wanted him home. And the sacrifice, mm -hmm. you know, the sacrifice. And, and heavy is the crown and that mantle that she inherited. I think she, she wears it and carries it uh, exquisitely. Yeah. And so I definitely want to give her her flowers. Yes. Happy, happy. All right, still ahead, it's our favorite segment. Brandon, we call it Black Excellence, and yeah. we love it here on Fox Souls Black Report. And so this Black. time we're gonna introduce you to the black woman who is inspiring students in Chicago, one page at a time. Mm, you're watching Fox Souls Black Report. Stay close, soulmates, we'll be right back. All right, soulmates, we are in the home stretch yes. here. Uh, we wanna welcome you back here to Fox Souls Black Report. Clotilde Ewing isn't just inspiring the future, she's a part of an organization that is actively working to change the future. She's the VP of the Strategic mm -hmm. Communications for the Chicago Community Trust. Yeah, the foundation works to build a more equitable Chicago, a city, she says, where opportunity and prosperity are in reach for all, but it's her new project as an author that's inspiring students all across the south side of the shy and more. Take a look. A storyteller with quite the story to tell. A life full of inspiration, especially Clotilde Ewing's time spent working with bosses who broke ceilings and opened doors. And who really did show themselves and show the world that if not them, then who? Like a media maven. One of the days that I will never forget is the day that I started at the Oprah show. And that is because it was the day of the infamous car giveaway. Someone in this audience still has the chance to go home with a brand new fully loaded Pontiac Q6. I hear all of these women just flipping out. And I'm thinking to myself, what did I get myself into? And a history maker. And working for, for President Obama's reelection campaign. That was incredible to help. To, to be part of a team that helped reelect the first black president. Uh, that's something that I'll always cherish. And it's the cherished lessons learned along the way in becoming a mother 
that led Clotilde to her next career. When I first found out I was pregnant, I was really excited to get the stroller in the crib, of course, but also books. And I was surprised by how little diversity there still is in children's books. We have a lot of books in our house that talk about our past, that talk about the civil rights movement, that talk about black excellence, and those are extremely important. But I want my kids to also see themselves in books about joy, books about adventure, books about imagination. Uh, and so that's why I started writing. Her first book, Stella Keeps the Sun Up, came out in 2022. I pull Roger into the kitchen and pour him a bowl of cereal. Cereal again, Roger complains. A year later, she released the second book in the series, Stella and the Mystery of the Missing Tooth. Who's Stella, you ask? Well, the very person who inspired Clotilde to start writing, her firstborn. My daughter in particular, her name is Stella, and the book, though it's inspired by both of my kids, my daughter is quick to remind me that it is named after her. Uh, my son is eager for a Jackson book to come out, so I need to get on that real quick. I know I would want a book of my own too, yes son. Hopefully he'll get his book soon. I'm sure he will in due time. Uh, it is great to see Clotilde uh, do her thing, uh, especially mm -hmm. you know after she has gotten great opportunities to mm -hmm. work with Oprah, work with Barack Obama, mm -hmm. and to turn that into something where she is uh, edifying and improving her own community. Yeah, now. and it's like a follow-up because I was and still is a, an Oprah junkie. So when that show, you know, as and I lived in Chicago during that time, so as that show progressed and then as they closed it out, you saw a lot of people behind the scenes you know they were documenting you know how the show closed out all the stories and the guests and I remember her face so it's good to uh, it's good to see her and this effort and it's so important now uh, as these books are being you know erased from the bookshelves and I think what this is prompting and I said this a few shows ago is that now more than ever you're seeing more black authors mm. new authors writing children's books so these babies can see themselves reflected on the pages with the afro puffs you know with 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 our swag with the way we talk with the way we relate so you know there's another side of of this push you know while we are politicking and and fighting the good fight and getting into that good trouble at the same time we've got these authors we've got these books uh, that are for us and by us that we should uh, support. And that's how you continue to negate all the nonsense that's happening with this erasion and, and culture theory and all this crap. You know, in a way, this is kind of reminiscent of what our ancestors did, where they are fighting the good fight, but then mm -hmm. at the same time, they're kind of sneaking in mm -hmm. the back door mm -hmm. just to make sure that we can have a seat at the table. That's right. That's right. And that's what's important. Yeah. All right. For a full rundown on today's stories, like the one you just saw and many more, make sure you access Fox Soul's video on demand on any of our partners. You can even access past shows and other black centered content. It's good stuff. And don't forget, Soulmates, you got to download the Fox app. It's going to be free, and uh, we're, we're right here for you 24/7 because you know we keep it, we keep oh, it, yeah. we keep it moving. We keep the programming keep rolling. Got to keep Absolutely. feeding the soulmates. We got to yeah. feed the soul here. And, and speaking of feeding the soul, thanks for feeding our soul in the clutch. We appreciate you hanging Honor. out with us. It's I'm always honored. a great conversation. It is a pleasure to always be here. Yeah. I hope you have a great Easter. Yeah. As well. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. I'm Courtney Hicks. I'm Brandon Hudson. Have a good one. Stay safe. Thanks for watching.